A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. On this episode of Get Real Podcast, I have Katie Cook joining me. She is the host of CMT and has been for over 20 years. We talk about how she grew up in England and America, split time. She was in a punk rock country band, ended up getting a record deal with her band that was named Reno. And then she talks about how she accidentally became a TV host. She stumbled into her job at CMT. That story is amazing. She talks about all the stars of country music that she's interviewed, who her mentor is, Dolly Parton, and an amazing story about Dolly working with Obama. She talks about her band that she's in with her husband and the song they wrote about her sister, Hey Jojo, who her sister grew up with a disability and passed away. And the song and the story is so moving. Katie Cook is such an incredible person. She's such an amazing host. She talks to me about all of her journey as a host gives me some tips of how she does it. But her soul is amazing too, and there's so much to her story. So get excited. Here's Katie Cook. Hi, Katie Cook. Hi, Caroline Hobby. I am very excited to be here with you because I have looked up to you for a long time. Okay, I don't know how I feel about that. That's so sweet. <laughs> I have always like just loved country music and growing up watching CMT and seeing you on CMT all the time. And just thinking you were amazing and untouchable in a way, because when you grow up in a small town, you don't know that people that you see in the spotlight are real or approachable, <laughs> you know, until you like get into the entertainment industry. And you're like, oh, you're as a regular human. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. I, I, I feel that way about, you know, people that I've 
watched and listened to for a long time. But yes, I'm, I'm very real. <laughs> Painfully so. <laughs> Whatever. But it's so cool to be here with you. And now to have kind of gotten to know you a little bit throughout the years, just through being in the entertainment industry and country music world, you're such an incredible human. And you have so many talents. Wow. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> I hope I live up to this now. You do. Thank okay. You. So I kind of want to start at the beginning. Okay. Because you, you did you start with singing first before hosting? Or how did you get into this wild country music world where you've interviewed everyone and their dog yeah pretty much yeah including a lot of dogs (laughs) um yeah i didn't mean to necessarily become a tv host i uh i mean i can make this a really long story a short one but um basically let's go let's let's go for all the the juice okay so i grew up in music my dad's a songwriter um his name's roger cook and and he obviously influenced me a lot you know and my mother worked for garth brooks for a lot of years when he was first getting started and my brother had always been in bands and I had always toyed with writing. So, I mean, like music is just all around me all the time my whole life. And I finally got my chance to try and get a record deal. And, and I had a band called Reno. We got signed to Curb Records. No and um, yeah, and we toured internationally. And, and, you know, we didn't quite break the top 40. I mean, we got really close a few times. And, um, and then the band broke up. And How was that? Was that devastating? When it it was up? devastating. Because um, this was going to be your life. Oh, it, it was all I thought I was going to do with my life. Now, I should... Let me backtrack and say I'm from England originally. No way. And, yeah. And so the band was formed in England. How long did you live in England? Well, I kind of went back and forth, but I first moved to America when I was only five. So out of my whole family, I'm like the really American one. Oh but we gosh. had moved back to England um, Well, we just would go back a lot, and we went in, like, I I spent all of eighth grade there. I went back again after high school, and I went back in my mid-20s, and that's when my band Reno was formed, you know, actually, I guess in my early 20s at that point. So you really spent time, like, one foot in America, one foot in England. Yeah, so, and I'm the only one who's become an American citizen, so my whole family's very English, and I'm like the they still live there? The black sheep, American one. Um, no, my mom's here, and my dad is in Franklin. He's just down okay. the road, so um, so they're both here. Okay, um, I want to hear about this band, but like, what did you take away from your by country experience? How do you call it? What, what would it be? Like yeah. dual citizenship? Or well, whatever. yeah, and I wish I was technically dual citizenship. They don't really do that anymore. But um, what did you gather from? growing up in two different countries well it was two completely different worlds i've only ever lived in london and nashville most people i know have lived in 10 different cities i've only lived in two and they couldn't be more different (laughs) but there's music in both places and so in a way there was always that music connection either place but very very different kinds of music obviously um my dad moved here to really focus on country writing and so i grew up with all this love of country but there was this little punk rocker inside of me that loved everything I was hearing in England, and nobody here had even heard of half the bands that I would listen to when I was in England. So I kind of had a, I don't know, um, a, a double life, a dual identity. I mean, there's kind of the Katie that could hang in England with her family and be into the music there and then come back here and be sort of a, a different person with different vibes around me. Um, and I guess that's always influenced me my whole life. But yeah, my my brother was in the band Reno with me, and our guitarist Tony was also English. My my brother never really, apart from being in America a little bit as a child, really couldn't wait to get back to England. So from his teenage years on, he was back in England. So basically, I was like this American girl with these two English guys. So either I was stuck in England probably more than I wanted to be, or they were stuck here away from their wives, you know, in America. And it took its toll, and the band broke up. 
I didn't know what I was going to do. Yeah, um, I, that's a devastating moment when you devoted your whole life to something. Yeah, it was it was very painful, and I, I just I didn't know what to do. And I had been a hairstylist before getting the record deal, <laughs> and I thought, well, you know, that's great money, and I really, actually, still really love doing hair. But you have to be really committed to have a clientele. You can't be flaky. And I thought, I just don't know if I can jump back into that full time. So I literally called a friend and I said, while I try to figure out what move to do, you know, to make next with my music, you know, if I'm going to put a band together here, I just need to pay the bills. I, I just need like a couple hundred bucks a week so I don't starve. So she let me work in her salon. I was literally sweeping hair and washing hair and taking phone calls, trying to figure out what to do next when I found out that CMT was looking for hosts. Now, had you hosted before? No, not at all. Um, spending years on stage singing and everything, I'm certainly not shy. And I it know- It really does translate, doesn't it? Oh, I think it does. Yeah, you, you would know, obviously. Um, and I just thought I could do that. But you know, honestly, I called a friend at CMT because I was trying to get another friend of mine an audition. I was not personally interested in auditioning, believe it or not. I just, I, I had a friend that said, oh, I just really want to, you know, audition for CMT to be a host. And I said, well, I know someone over there. I can call and find out what agent you need to call or whatever. And it was when I was on the phone with that friend, they were like, well, why don't you come audition too? You know, like it, you won't starve, you know, it pays <laughs> decent and you'll get to meet people like Dolly Parton. I was like, awesome. <gasps> I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I could get paid to meet Dolly. So I thought, what the heck? I had nothing else going on that day. And I went to the audition. My so it was friend never went. It was such a whim. I can't even begin to tell you. Your and friend never went who you got this whole thing for. Yes. My friend that I made the call for never even went. And um, I guess that's good. So then she couldn't be mad at you that you got. Yeah, the gig. well, it's actually a he. <laughs> oh, he. he just lost all interest. I I didn't think in a million years that I was really going to get Were you it. nervous during your audition. No, no, because I didn't think they'd hire me. I just thought, <laughs> what the heck? It can't hurt. It's, it, you know, who knows? You know, um, it's a long shot, but I'll, I'll just go. There wasn't really anything riding on it for me. And I I, I think I went in so naive. I, I just goofed around and read the cue card and acted a fool. And, <laughs> and they, it's funny, they called me back and said, um, we love you, but we really hate the way you look. Oh, well, okay. I know. Well, what is that? <laughs> well, I had fire engine red hair. You I have, had red hair? Oh, like fire engine. No. Like the color of these curtains. No. Um, I have my nose pierced and my lip pierced. And so you were in your punk rocker face. Yeah, I was. Well, I was an artist. And, yeah. you know, as an artist, you can do whatever you want. And yeah. and they said, we, we like you. We like your voice. And we can tell that you could do this. But could you change, like, pretty much everything about the way you look? And Are I, people allowed to say that anymore these days? Is, don't you get, like, um, sued? <laughs> probably. Well, hey, I didn't have the job. I mean, I guess, you know, let's yeah. face it. You Looks are part of why you get they hired are. on TV. And they just didn't like the way I looked. And they, they were cute about it. But... <laughs> And, you know, I said, no. Oh. I said, no, I, I really, I'm, I'm doing my artist thing. And this it's is you. part Staying of my thing. Yourself. I, didn't, I didn't know any better. I really didn't think I was that close to getting the job. And anyway, this has turned into a very long story. But I love it. The short part of it is they, they called back a couple more times. And by then, I was already, like, itching to change my hair anyway. I used to change it every few weeks, you know. And uh, my husband's like, you know, you'll probably be blonde again in a week and just, to, you know, you take the nose ring out sometimes when you sleep. Just take it out. Go back in an audition. Yeah. And I did. And I actually ended up in, like, the final four people. And then something really competitive kicked in. I thought, this would actually be a really great job for me. I really think I could do this. 
And so I, I went in there and got real competitive and nailed it, I guess, I guess, because they gave me the yeah. job. And it's been almost 20 years. 20 years <laughs> well, with I started, CMT? Yeah, 2001. So what is it, 2019? Yeah, 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 like 18 years. Isn't that crazy? What has that journey been like? And just with CMT, because it's evolved so much as a, yeah. as a TV network and a music network. Yeah, it What has. has that journey been like? Um, you know, I honestly have... I never knew I'd be there this long, and I've, I think I've taken it month to month. I really have. I've just sort of tried to show up every day at work and just do a good job and keep my head down. And I think I'm only just now really kind of taking a breath and looking back over the last 18 years and really even beginning to think about what has this been like. It's It's been a crazy roller coaster, but I never knew I'd be there this long. I just always thought, just do a good job today and don't get fired today, you know, Um <laughs> Music has evolved a lot. The country sound has changed a lot. How did um, it start? When you started, what was country music like? They um, who I, were the hot? Who were the stars of country music when you started? Yeah, uh, I guess like Toby Keith was big. Montgomery Gentry was really big. Um, women were still a little, <laughs> a little more played on the radio at the time. I guess um, Shania was huge at the time. Faith Hill was huge. Um, Gosh, yeah. I I mean, I got to interview Merle Haggard, um, Ralph Stanley, you know, people that obviously, you know, I won't get to talk to again. Mm -hmm. I never got to interview Johnny Cash. Um, Dolly has always been my favorite and, and ever present. I feel like I get to talk to her more than any other artist. I'm like, you other artists need to step up because Dolly is outworking all of you. Um, Blake Shelton was just getting started. Oh, wow. And his mullet and everything. Yeah, oh, yes. In fact, the first time, can I tell you, the first time I met Blake, I had made fun of him on live TV, said something about his mullet, you know. And then the first time I met him was like a couple of weeks later at the Opry. We get like in the elevator together. I was hosting Grand Ole Opry on the weekends and... And he, he got in the elevator, and I was like, oh, hi, I'm, I'm Katie Cook. I'm really excited to meet you. He goes, I know who you are making fun of my mullet on live TV, Katie Cook. And I was just like, oh, my God, I love you. And I, I just thought from that day forward, I was like, this guy has the best sense of humor and is really going to do something. I His mean, personality is so amazing. He's the best. I love him. But, yeah, all kinds of artists that, you know, some aren't around anymore and, um, and some are, are still around, thank goodness. You know, uh, Kenny Chesney was huge all through that. Um, Tim McGraw, obviously. Was that the Dixie Chicks era too? Yeah, Dixie Chicks were still around. That was, yes, definitely before everything blew up. Uh -huh. So I got to work with them a few times. Um, so yeah, the music's changed a lot. I, I've been on a, quite a few different shows. You know, it's TV. It's always evolving. And oh, Yeah, what are some of the shows you've been on? Well, I mean, it started, uh, do you remember, it was called MWL Live. That's what I started MWL. on. What does it well, Most for? Wanted Live. Most yeah. Wanted Live. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, so that was kind of a TRL, I think. was. That's like, like a, when the TRL days were yeah. huge and so all that. So it was that. kind of country's version of TRL. So I started on that. So you with, were like, the wait, was that like Jenny McCarthy who hosted it on TRL? Or yeah. was it Carson Daly? Uh, I think it was Jenny McCarthy. Okay. I, well, I think they were together. Okay, yeah. Okay, I so think that so. was the country music version. Yeah, I didn't get to be as crazy as her, <laughs> but you know. Um, so it started out MWL and then it turned into Top. 20 and then I had something uh, a show called Insider for a long time we had MWL Star which would focus just on one artist um, I did I think I did a couple Crossroads before they kind of went host less on Crossroads um, and then yeah all the award shows um, uh, Grand Ole Opry they have me host Grand Ole Opry for CMT so it's been a lot of different shows uh, I feel like every few years they kind of change it up 
Do you have a favorite type of hosting that you do? Like, is it like red carpet? Is it sit downs? Is it uh, top 20? Yeah, I think uh, I like getting in depth with people, which I almost never get to do anymore. Um, I'd rather talk to someone for an hour than five minutes. So, Mm -hmm. so I really like it when they've given me a few specials where I can get really, you know, in depth. Um, I love talking to Faith Hill one time. It was after all the Carrie stuff had happened. and, and What, what that was whole, the Carrie stuff? When she made that face? Yeah. That but it whole, was a joke face. It was. It was a total joke. And anyone, You went to her house and sat down with her, didn't you? Yeah. I remember that interview. Yeah. Anybody who knows Faith knows that that was totally Faith joking around. Yeah. She's a very funny person and she kids around a lot. But all that had gone down and, so and she was ready to talk about it. In like a what happened moment, but she was joking because she totally was joking. totally supporting Carrie Underwood for the win. Absolutely. But then they sl- cut away before she laughed. Yes. And I had my, some of my crew guys were back there with her and they were like, oh yeah, she was totally cutting up. She was just being hysterical. Like yeah. like how anybody could take that seriously still to this day blows my mind. But, but, but getting really to talk her. to her about that. Yes. And, and, and giving her a chance to really explain herself. And I always like those kinds of interviews where we can really get into something um, and get to know people more. But I also really love red carpets. I like live TV. Uh, it can be a little nerve wracking, like in the minutes leading up, you know, they're counting you down and you're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Have you ever blanked out? Oh yeah. What do you do when you blank? I, yeah, I, you know, if you could go back and watch some stuff, there's probably been many moments on live TV where, TV where I've just said, I just had a brain fart or it's been a long day. I'm so sorry. <laughs> One time I called an artist by the wrong name. Oh, no. How did that it go? Was, well, it was Josh Grayson. And for some reason, Josh Groban came oh. out of my mouth. Oh, they're and close. I, I know. And I knew the difference. But yeah, they were just a little close. And I was nervous. It was maybe my second red carpet. Um, oh, yeah. I go blank all the time. And I mean, it's life. You, <laughs> you just have to roll with it. How do you prepare for red carpet interviews? Because I'm... I've probably been hosting now like some red covers for like a couple of years and I always feel overwhelmed with all the information in my brain. Yes. Like it's almost too much for me to process because you have to know everything that everybody's doing and there's so many people. Yeah. How do you prepare for all that? Well, I I used to try and memorize and memorize and memorize and I'm at the point now I'm just like, you know what? The artists don't mind if I have a note or two around. Um, And and so I do, I'll have little cheat sheets around, um, you know, and if I see somebody walking up, I'll kind of pull it out real quick (laughs) and just refresh my brain. And because it's a lot, you know, I mean, I may end up talking to 20 people on a red carpet, but that's out of a potential 80 people. And I used to just sit and memorize factoids on like 80 people every time. And then like, I'd be up late at night, the night before red carpet, crying and drinking wine. I'm like, <laughs> Too much. I can't do it. Wake up all hungover and sad and freaked out. And, you know, and it's like that, that doesn't make for good TV. It really doesn't. And the truth is I used to memorize all that stuff, but the parts that my producers would always say went the best was when I was totally winging it and just joking around and making it up. Mm-hmm. It didn't have to do with remembering the name of their tour and you know which single is on the charts. Now, I actually think that kind of stuff, although I love doing that and because I, I think the artists appreciate it and I know managers and PR people appreciate it, I think the person watching at home is really just wants to see you guys cutting up and having a good time. And So I've learned to relax a lot. How did you how did you finally learn that? Well, I think honestly, it took my producer telling me about a hundred times, relax. <laughs> because you're not being as fun as you think you are. We we got all the facts. Now just relax. So I think once he told me that many, many times, and then I got to see a few carpets back where I I, I knew I was relaxing more, I thought, yeah, that, that is more entertaining. It really is. So Do you have an interview that stands out to you more than others of just like, whoa, like this was like a moment? 
obviously you have tons of those, but one that yeah. like just rocked you. Yeah, I have a lot. Um, but I, the thing that always comes to my mind, because I have been asked that many times, is, well, there's two. Um, working with Obama was huge. So you sat down and talked um, to Obama? No, I wish I, I wish I could tell you I had a one-on-one -on -one <laughs> hour with Obama. No, but it was a town hall. And excuse me if you hear my dogs or daughter running around in the background. Keeping it. it real. Hey, I love it. It's called it Get Real. real. <laughs> um, getting to work with Obama, it was a town hall and uh, just had all these college students asking him questions, but I was one of three hosts and and getting to talk to him afterwards and just seeing how he handled people, even when the cameras weren't rolling, because that tells you a lot about somebody when the cameras go off. And What was he like when the cameras were off? Oh, he just kept answering questions and was so charming and calm and intelligent and really gave everybody a chance and didn't get his feathers ruffled if it was somebody coming at him a little bit with a hard question or being negative. He just was really lovely. And, and afterwards, just was like, we, we met backstage to take a picture with him. And he walked up and he just looked like he was on cloud nine. He's like, man, I'm so encouraged. What a beautiful group of young people. So smart. Great questions. And he was so fired up, you know, to see all these young kids. And I thought, yeah, this is stuff nobody at home is ever going to see. Um, and, and that was really great. And then another another night that really stands out for me because it taught me a lot um, was at the Opry. And I had two two artists I'd be interviewing that night. I'm not going to name names because I think that would be tacky, but let's just say there was one that I just thought I was going to click with, thought we were real politically, you know, in sync and, and he's a little edgy and I just thought, oh, he's just going to love me and I'm going to love him. And then there was another artist that was going to be on. It was more of a legend, more old school. I thought more kind of the opposite of me, you know, um, in many ways. And when the interviews actually came around, the one that I thought I was going to click with, just ticked me off he was rude he acted like he was way too good to be there he didn't want to be interviewed so he was wasting my time as well as his own time on live tv it was horribly uncomfortable and i couldn't wait for it to be over and the guy that i thought might give me attitude because he's such a legend he's so old school and i thought he might think who's this young little girl trying to interview me just sat right down and made my day he couldn't have been sweeter he just was engaged and absolutely lovely and so polite and I couldn't stop talking to him I even when the cameras stopped rolling I wanted to talk to him all night and it just taught me a lot I don't know I just was like you know what don't don't go into any situation thinking you have it figured out in these interviews because you don't people will surprise you you should be very open-minded and and it was a reminder of how well you can get along with someone even if you think you have nothing in common with them you have know? you learned a lot about life through hosting Yes. What are some of the things that you've learned like that? That's a lesson in life that like might you might most people might not ever think that, you know, yeah. people might just stick with their ways of people are the way they are. They're not going to change. And I'm this way. You're that way. But obviously you've had first hand experience with all walks of life, all beliefs all types of people. Yeah. What are some of the things you've walked away with, like lessons in life? Well, yeah, like like you said, all all walks of life, all different beliefs. Some of the people I have liked the most, um, you know, <laughs> gosh, they might have things about them that I think, yeah, I'm, I'm not into hunting. I don't get it. I don't get trophy hunting. I don't know why anybody would do that. You're right? Or, I am, yeah. yeah and I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm not vegan all the time. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm really not preachy about it. But, you know, I... So many of these country boys, they just, you know, they want to spend their weekends killing as much as they can. And I just thought, oh, gosh, how am I even going to, you know, <laughs> vibe with that? But 
sometimes they're just the most beautiful people. And I just think, you know, that's that's what you do. And it's not my place to judge it at all. And, and there are people who I just want to hang out with all the time. They're my favorite people. I'm like, you're the guy I want to have a drink with or you're the woman I want to go shopping with. I can't stand your music. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. It happens. They're just, you can't like it all, you know? Um, and then there's other people, you love their music and you try having a conversation with them and you're like, I just, I just want this to be over. This is terrible. I mean, it's just, you just don't know. And so I think you just have to be very open-minded and Dolly has taught me so much. I bring, I feel like I bring her up all the time. She's kind of like a mentor for you in a way. Oh, she completely is. I feel like I learn how to handle people more from Dolly Parton than Tell me some of the anybody. things you learned from her. She, well, I, I don't think she'd mind me telling this story, but um, during MWL Star, this when I that was actually the first time I ever worked with her, and you know everybody cries when they first meet Dolly, and it's I'm, just overwhelming. I'm it's no, too much. Yeah, I'm no exception. <laughs> I, she didn't catch me doing it because I. I I said hi to her in the hallway. She was getting ready to get changed. I was about to get changed. We compared outfits and, oh, she was so sweet. Gave me a big hug. Said she couldn't wait to work with me. And then she went in her dressing room and I went in mine and I broke down and I sobbed for a minute because I was like, she's everything I want her to be. And she smells so good. Oh, and she's so pretty. And I just love her so much. How great when someone so lives much. up to your expectation. I mean, so many people probably let you down with yeah. what you hope they are and then they're not. Yeah. And I have to say in country, 99% of the time, people don't let you down because they're great because they're great, you know. Um, but she uh, later on that day, we had a little audience, uh, you know, some like, you know, extras, like a few kind of actor types, but also some fans for sure, you know, like in the audience. And um, we did a little Q&A, and I don't even think the cameras were rolling at this point. She was just answering questions. And a girl stood up and asked her a question and and after she sat back down dolly answered her question and then just said i know you and the girl said no i don't think so she goes no i know you i've got you on camera going through my trash and then she just looked at me she goes you know somebody loves you when they go through your trash <laughs> and we we're all like oh my what oh my gosh what's happening is, is this okay do we need to remove this person or is it but dolly was great she she let her know i know exactly who you are and I know you're a little intense, but I'm going to be classy and we're going to keep this conversation going and everything's going to be okay. And she handled it beautifully. Wow. And I learned right then and there is like, okay, being famous is hard, but you can still be really classy with how you handle people. And that is such a good point. It, it just blew my mind. And, and she could have been very upset about well, that. Well, she could have walked in the room and, and said, I, I need you to take that girl out of here or whatever, you know. And I hope she wouldn't mind me telling the story. I don't think she would. It, it's all just to say she handles herself with so much class and grace and is very kind to people. Mm -hmm. Very, very kind to people. And if Dolly Parton... <laughs> you know, one of a small handful of the most famous people on planet Earth can handle herself that way, then everybody needs to get it together. And Dolly's always early and always professional and never lets us down ever. And I just, I hold everybody to that standard probably unfairly, but, you know. How do you think, why do you think, do you think that's how she is so successful? One of the reasons why, obviously, she's one of the greatest songwriters, singers, performers, artists of all time. But on top of it, she has this work ethic, this kindness. Do you think that has attributed to her yeah. superstardom? Yeah, absolutely. Work ethic, you know. <laughs> Have you just... noticed people's work ethic as artists? Like, can you tell with, like, artists coming through, especially new ones, 
who has the work ethic and who doesn't. Yeah, absolutely. And there are times, again, I wouldn't name names, but there's been a few artists where I've thought, you don't have the best voice and you're pretty good looking, you know, and you you dress okay but there's I can sense this work ethic and I'm like you're gonna blow everybody away and you're gonna be here 20 years from now and and I have seen it over and over again and yes and and people like Dolly she's so likable you just want to root for her people love Blake Shelton you know um what is it about Blake that you think people love a sense of humor you know and he's so humble and Mm -hmm. he's the first to make fun of himself and I mean what's not to like and he happens to be really talented and really good looking Mm -hmm. and He's the whole package, but I think that wit, that quick wit, I mean, he's it's just irresistible. Oh my gosh, he's he's just so funny. Um, so yeah, I think you have to be likable. You know, you just have to be because there's there's so many people out there. How how can not everybody's going to make it? And I think my one of my theories about how to be successful in life is people will like you based on how they feel about themselves when they're around you. I love that. It's well, and it's true if you think about it. Yeah. And Blake and Dolly, like, I I can't tell you how many times I've been in the room with Dolly and somebody will walk by and she'll be like, oh my gosh, look at that cute little outfit. Or, well, aren't you precious? And, you know, she doesn't have to do any of that. She's Dolly. You know, she could sit there silent and we would still just be like, you're perfect. (laughs) You know, but she makes people feel good about themselves. and, And Blake does that too. And I just think uh, artists that can go out of their way just a little bit to mm-hmm. let everybody around them be at ease and, and give a compliment here and there. I mean, you've made a fan for life. That person will root for you forever and ever. And that, That's so true. that is part of it. everyone be at ease around you. Yeah. Because it is nerve-wracking when you're around a star. Yes. Cause you're, and then if they don't talk or if they're quiet or if they're putting off an intense energy, you're like... Oh my God, do they hate me? But they don't know me. Why would they hate me? Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? oh, it's horrible. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know if you ever do this, but sometimes before an interview starts, I'm trying so hard to warm them up so it'll be good when the camera starts rolling. But then sometimes I forget they're trying to save their voice. They're trying to save their energy. And maybe I'm just driving them crazy. <laughs> and so you got to read people. And I think that's a big thing that I've learned through the job over the years is just. I think I was always pretty good at reading people, but I've definitely had to get a lot better. I mean, it's survival in this job to mm-hmm. be able to read someone's energy and, and know when you're bugging them or just off track. or, and, and you also have to know when to not take it personally. Some artists are actually very nervous before interviews. And you wouldn't think it because they're superstars yeah. or whatever. And then they have tons of anxiety about yeah. being on camera or being interviewed. Because a lot of them are actually really shy. That's a surprise, you know? isn't it? Yeah, and 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 I get that because I can be, you know, so extroverted one minute and then the next minute just be like, I don't want to see people for three weeks, you know, just <laughs> gotta preserve energy. I get it. I totally get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very hard for me not to ask you a million questions right no, now. No, you can't. I'm wanting to ask you all kinds of things. My uh, your interview brain is I'm going, the, isn't I'm it? I'm the interviewee right now. That's hard. Have you for been me. Inter- interviewed often? No, not that much. It's it's always very How does odd it feel for me. To be in the seat. Uh, good, actually, really good. <laughs> I hope I'm not talking too much. No, no, okay. no. I mean, I want all the things. Okay, all the deets. <laughs> when you drive a vehicle so reliable, it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty. You stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. 
Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. To me, you just ooze calmness and peace. And when you interview people, it feels so comfortable and like you're just so relatable. Is, do you work on that or is it just how you are? Gosh, I well, thank you very much. That's a real compliment. I appreciate it. Um, no, I, I'm not sure I think about it a whole lot. Honestly, I think like I don't watch myself on television. I don't watch the shows back. I'll watch for two seconds to be like, yeah, don't do that with your hair again. Bad call, <laughs> you know, or I want to see how a dress fit or something. I might watch it for a second and. You know, if it's an interview I was really nervous about, maybe I'll I'll watch it back and just make sure it turned out okay. But for the most part, I try to just go in and do it and then leave it all behind me. I try not to overthink it. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody ever told me really why I got the job to begin with, and nobody ever trained me. So you kind of trained yourself? Oh, yeah, I got zero training. They were just like, and go. How did you train you know? yourself? Well, I I just said in my brain, I said, pretend you're on TV. Act like someone who's on TV. Act like a Barbara Walters. I don't know. How did you know what questions to ask or how to be? Well, that's a team effort, honestly. Um, I, you know, 
and you know, behind the scenes, there's always kind of like, okay, we want to bring our interview in. I mean, our artists in to be interviewed and we want to cover this, this, and this. And then the producer will say to me like, Hey, it'd be great to also cover this. And I saw online that they did this. Why don't you bring that up? You know, and so it's kind of this group effort between the artist team and the producers. And then they hand it off to me. And then I start working on it. And I start rearranging stuff. And I, I start researching. And I throw in what I want. So, you know, when all is said and done, there's three or four people who have kind of had their fingers in an interview. Unless it's live. And then they're just leaving it all in my lap. But um, I just I just trusted my team I trusted that they would tell me if I was doing something horribly wrong um and I haven't been fired yet so I guess whatever I'm doing is working and I I just I'm real big on researching I do want to know a lot about somebody before I talk to them because that that's just what you should do that's a sign of respect you know totally Um, how do you like to research well, obviously, mostly online, just, you know, Googling know. all of, you know, That's everything. Amazing and, resource. Yeah. And, you know, when I started, there was no social media, you know. So you had to dig. Yeah. I was like, you know. How did you dig back then? Well, you know, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> I want to make some joke about like, you know, hiding from the dinosaurs with my encyclopedia <laughs> in my hand so long ago. But um, I, you know, I still use the Internet a lot. But at when I started, they would literally still mail you packets. Oh, you know, wow. and so you would read the bio and you would listen to the CD and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I, yeah, it was a while ago. Things have changed a lot, you know, and now rather than just go to like Wikipedia, you know, you're kind of better off spending a couple of days watching somebody's Instagram, mm-hmm. you know, and, and going back through because then you're really seeing what they want you to see and, and that kind of thing. So. Yeah, I do a lot of that. What is your take on the whole women movement happening right now? Because you're kind of like right in the middle of it all with all the artists. You've seen there's so much happening with there's such a stir for women right now. Yeah. And you've been around when women were more prevalent in country music. And then it's why do you think it took a dip? And then how do you feel about the surge that's happening now? Yeah, I I have no idea why it took a dip. I mean, people go, well, you know, in the 90s, it was all women. Like the boys could hardly get played on the radio. And maybe that's true. I feel like there was just a really good mix of it back then. Um, I don't I honestly don't know. And I've spent a lot of time thinking about this. And I've spent a lot of time asking other artists. I'm scratching my head on this one. I do think um and this isn't to put down male artists, and this is not necessarily 100% you know, true in every case, but I think women have had a tendency the last decade to go pretty deep with their music. I feel like lyrically, you know, I don't know, maybe it's like we all subconsciously knew this whole Me Too movement was going to come about. I mean, we've all kind of had enough. Mm-hmm. And I think in general, women right now really want to say something with their songs. They, they don't necessarily just want to say, I, I'm going to get pretty for our date Friday night. And we're going to have a good old time mm-hmm. at the honky tonk. I mean, women are like saying really deep stuff. And I don't know what the powers that be just think that's not entertaining and that, you know, there is something to be said for just turning on the radio to switch your brain off and to not mm-hmm. think deep thoughts and to just rock out. And, you know, sometimes we go to a concert and just want to bang our head and, you know, we don't want to have deep thoughts. You know, we kind of want to get away from life. So maybe... There's somebody out, you know, a lot of people out there that just think that's not what radio listeners want to hear. I could not disagree more. Mm -hmm. I want to hear women talking to me about what's going on in their lives. I want to hear brutally honest songs from men and women. Mm -hmm. And I want that deep content badly. And I don't think I'm alone. So I'm glad it's starting maybe to come around, but I still think we have a long way to go. But um I wonder if it was partly content driven. That that's the only 
take I can have on it because nothing else makes sense. I don't I don't understand it. Has it been fun and empowering to be at CMT that has put such a good focus on women? Like yes. you have CMT next women of country. They're so I see I feel like especially with Leslie Fram who helps run CNT over there. She's so women prone. Obviously you're such a great voice for women. Has it been empowering to be in a place of power that is able to support women? Yes, absolutely. I'm very, very proud of CMT. I'm very just in awe of Leslie Fram for all that she's done to change the conversation in the last few years. Um, and I just, I want to see more of that. And I, I'm glad to see the industry for the most part, really embracing it and going, yeah, you're right. We do need more of this, but come on radio. Mm-hmm. Come on, because, you know, radio helps put the butts in the seats. And, mm -hmm. you know, we need we need women to have huge tours just like the men enjoy. It's really important. Yeah. I think that's why it's so cool that like Carrie Underwood's doing an all-female tour right I now. I love it. It's I could so just great. kiss her for that. <laughs> Thank you, Carrie. Yeah. It's so great. It's so cool to see that. Yeah. Women supporting women. And that's another thing. I feel like the women in country music, the artists really support each other. Yeah. Yeah. There's genuine friendships mm -hmm. there. I don't, I haven't seen a lot of cattiness no, at all none. between the women. I really never have, uh, even in the very beginning. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Country women rock. <laughs> they're just yeah. awesome yeah okay so i want to talk about your music oh okay suncat yes talk to me about suncat <laughs> okay y'all have a single oh i don't know if it's single or what you're calling it but a very personal song about your sister jojo is yes. her name joanna yeah her name's joanne and we used to joanne. call her jojo her husband called her jojo so we all started calling her that talk to me about so. that song and your walk with your sister and how this song came about yeah so well i guess do you want me to start with a little bit about suncat just yeah yeah so suncat is myself and my husband adam schoenfeld y'all are the cutest couple <laughs> on planet earth so in love thank you i mean y'all just Lovesick. He's my schmoopy bear. <laughs> I love him so much. He's he's wonderful. Um, and I call him Sunny. And, you know, because he's your sunshine. He, he is, exactly. He's my little Sunny bear. Um, and yeah, so Suncat, the name came about from, you know, putting Sunny and Katie together, it became Suncat. And, you know, we're both ch children of the 70s and, you know, very influenced by all that, you know, Zeppelin and Fleetwood Mac and then, you know, Tom Petty all through the 80s. So, you know, our stuff is very singer songwriter and, um, and just, yeah, kind of, kind of a little retro. And my sister, my sister had an IDD. Um, what is IDD? Well, w growing up, we would just say learning disability. Okay. And um, the, the correct term now, IDD, is intellectual developmental disability, which is a mouthful. So they shortened it to IDD. And that's that's the current term um, that is acceptable. Um, and anyway, my sorry, my daughter's. <laughs> hey, guys. Oh, Zoe's here. My daughter's <laughs> best friend, Zoe's here. Hi, baby Hi. girl. This is my friend Caroline. Hi, guys. Are you guys wanting to go to the pool? All right, you hit it. Sorry. Love I you guys. You. <laughs> I wanted to make sure you knew. Yeah, you're so sweet. You're a good girl. <laughs> and we're in the middle of an interview, and that's some slice of real life right hey, there. Hey, I love it. And look at look at you, Katie. Just mom life in it up, interviewing it up. I mean, you got you got CMT, you got mom life, you got Suncat. You're an artist. You wrote a children's book. I mean, it's all happening. <laughs> okay, love you guys. Bye. <laughs> Speaking of your precious daughter, Daisy Rocket. She's twelve and a half, oh. and. She's just she's Daisy she's Rocket. awesome. She's such a good girl. Oh she my god! She looks like a. I mean, she seems so sweet. Yeah, she's an angel. I don't know how I got so lucky. You're an angel. Oh, I love her. She is the reason I drink too. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> but um, no. But back to Suncat. So yeah. So my sister Joanne, um, 
had an IDD. I always called her my big little sister because uh, I had to look out for her, obviously. But she she was older than me and just precious, really beautiful person. Anyway, she uh, she passed away last year. It's been just over a year now. She had stage four lung cancer. By the time we found her lung cancer, it was already stage four, and there wasn't a lot we could do. But she she did actually live five years with that. Joanne was very in the moment, in the now, very very jolly never looking back or forward, just very in the moment, very sweet and happy and really was never stressed out about her cancer at all. And I really? think it gave her it gave her a, a longer life with it. Um, was the cancer separate from the IDD Was it, or did it all kind of go together? Yeah, well, no, I mean, the IDD was something that she was born with. And, yeah. and you know, um, so no, the cancer never affected her brain at yeah. all. It was, it was purely in her lungs and then it did spread to other parts of her body. But um, when she passed away, um, we had her service, I think, on a Thursday. And a couple days later, it was like a Saturday, I'd had a dream about her. And in the dream, I was talking to her, and she looked great. She looked happy and healthy, and and uh, she's like, I, I made it here. I made it. Took a few days, but I got here. You know, I guess talking about heaven, and and it was so sweet. And I woke up, and I just I looked at Adam, and I was like, Oh my God, we have to write a song for JoJo. I just I, she's okay, and I feel it was such a gift. I can't begin to tell you. Did that relieve a lot of, what did that do for you? It just made me feel like she was okay, that none of us had to feel guilty, that none of us had to be sad, that we didn't have to feel sorry for her, that, you know, it was just okay. It was just this gift. And we sat down at the piano and I mean, the song had written itself in under an hour. It was just so fun. and, And it felt so happy. It was just, it is a happy song. It was song. a gift, yeah, and it very Beatlesy vibe. It's and, such a Beatlesy vibe. Yeah, well, and your music video is too. Yeah, well, we thought with the title like "Hey JoJo," that's what we wanted to uh-huh. call it. That just sounded Beatlesy, you uh-huh. know. Um, and she would always say whenever I would talk about Adam, and I'd be like, oh, "I just love him so much." She'd always say, "What's not to love?" That was her little phrase, and so. We made that a hook in the song, and we have a studio here in the house. We came right downstairs and started working on it. My brother, who used to be in my band, Reno, he's a drummer, he was over here from England for her service. So he was in town, so we had him come over and play drums. My dad lives down the road, and he came over and sang background vocals. And my mother came over to watch it all. (laughs) Was it healing? It was so healing. It's like she brought us all together like she had done in life because she was the glue that held us all together. She was? Absolutely. I mean, I think anybody who has a family member with a disability with a disability will tell you that it it is a glue that, you know, because people can grow up and and move all over the world, all over the country and and get very separated, but when you have someone with a disability in your family, you all have to participate and and come together to help that family member and she was our glue and I think none of us said it out loud, but I think we all had that fear that we could drift apart a little bit without her. Mm. And then here we all were together doing something for her. It was it was beautiful. So we decided that we would donate all the money to the ARC. And, um, you know, they help people with IDDs from from birth to the end of life. And they advocate for people and and lobby for change and and just help protect people and raise awareness and they're they're just wonderful organizations so we decided we would give all the download money to the ark so if you if you get hey jojo it's available on apple music and itunes we will give the money straight to the ark it's such an uplifting song how do you feel like growing up with a sister with an idd affected you as a person 
Well, a great deal. Um, I mean, obviously, I, d I don't know what it's like to, you know, have a sibling that doesn't have an IDD. Um, well, I, I have my brother. My brother actually has Tourette's syndrome. Um, so I had two siblings with disabilities. And, um, you know, the world can be a hard place for somebody with a disability. So um, I became very protective of them. Uh, I learned very early on that a lot of people aren't educated on how to be around people with disabilities. And I think maybe I took that on a little bit at a young age of just trying to help teach other people, other kids my age, like you don't have to be freaked out to be around my sister. She's really sweet and just, just act normal. And, you know, I, I kind of in a way would even take some pride in feeling like maybe that was partly my role in life was was to just we we were never a family that was like oh yeah we got to stay home you know joanne can't be out there in the world it's like no we're just going to go everywhere and she's sometimes going to act really goofy and sometimes she's going to fall over and knock stuff over and say the wrong thing and it's our job to just you know make sure she can have a, a normal life and and to help expose other people that don't have that in their family to what it's like and to be okay with it you know, the world needs more inclusion. And, and, you know, that was kind of my role my whole life was, you know, my friends were so wonderful. They always let me bring Joanne to every party. And I took her to, you know, music gigs. And, and she was just my buddy. And we did a lot together. And my parents just never held her back. Just, yeah, I mean, it wasn't always easy, you know. And we worried about her a lot. And sometimes she got into trouble. You know, I tried to give her a little bit of freedom and she'd get lost <laughs> and, you know, and it was hard at times, but I wouldn't change. I wouldn't change it at all. It taught me a lot about compassion. I bet. Yeah. And I was, I was, I, I'll use better language than I used to use, but I'll simply say she was definitely my, um, um, jerk radar. Um, you know, <laughs> she wouldn't hold back. Well, no, if somebody couldn't handle themselves around her, then I didn't really want to be around them. Yeah. You know, if somebody couldn't be kind to her, it would tell me pretty quick you know who to avoid do you think that has played a part into your open personality and your because I am now realizing you are like a hippie and like a, a <laughs> like a like you have so many beautiful colors you're such a free spirit you're so inclusive you wrote a book about was it Lenny Oh, little Benny. Little Benny, how he didn't know he was the whole universe. Yeah. yeah. Like <laughs> your whole vibe is wide open and yeah. just kindness and embracing. I feel like all of who humanity is. Well, thank you. Do you think that was played a part growing up the way yeah, you did? Yeah, I guess so. And my parents were total hippies. I mean, my dad was, you know, he's still a songwriter and musician. I grew up around really artsy, creative people. Um, and... And artsy, creative people all are unique and different. No one's like yeah. this cookie cutter. No, and my parents didn't raise me to be cookie cutter. I mean, they, they were kind of like, let your freak flag flag. How, how mean, fun like, is that? Yeah, I don't know. My parents were just like, you'll be good at whatever you put your mind to. Just do whatever. You know, there oh, was no, no pressure to be any certain way at all. Um, yeah, I, I wasn't really raised. My, my parents put a lot of pressure on me to be polite. And to be respectful. It would have never have been okay if I was rude to an adult. Or, you know, it wasn't even okay for me to put my elbows on the table when I was a kid. But I could wear what I wanted and dye my hair crazy colors. And, you know, anything I wanted to pursue, they would have supported me. So I always had that, you know, comfort growing up that I could just be myself. And my brother is really into punk rock. 
older brother and I just worshiped him and wanted to do anything he did. And he opened my whole world up to, you know, the more alternative side of art and music for sure. Um, so I don't know. And then, and then my sister, my sister taught me dignity and grace and compassion and, and to not judge people, you know, everybody's dealing with their own stuff. Mm -hmm. Everybody's got battles that we can't see. Um, so I think that's very important. I'm trying to raise my daughter that way too. And I hope I'm succeeding. I don't know. I, I take it one day at a time too, you know. What's it like being a parent and you're co-parenting with Adam? He's yes. two children of his own. Yes. Yeah, so this is, like you said earlier, this is your second marriage and yeah. y'all are freaking, <laughs> I can't handle it. Like your music oozes this love and connection, your relationship in general. I just feel like, are you just in a cloud with him? Yeah. And like raising this family together? Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. He, I've known him forever. I mean, gosh, I probably met him. I met him before I had the CMT job. So you've known him for over 20 yeah, years? Yeah, just buddies, just music business buddies. Y'all just, just been friends? Yeah, go to the same gigs and stuff like that and would see each other. And um, we ended up getting divorced around the same time. We were literally chatting on Facebook. And, and he was like, you want to get a glass of wine sometime? And it's funny because I was at a point where I was not remotely interested in dating. I just wanted to focus on work and being a mother and all of that. And um, But I was always like, gosh, he's always been the nicest, nice. I've always really liked him as a person. And I just thought... Yeah, he's somebody I would go have a glass of wine with. And then we pretty much like, <laughs> like, I think within two weeks, we're like, yeah, okay, you're it. I'm going to like grow old with you, you know. But <laughs> how'd you know? Oh, gosh, I just, I mean, every single time we talked, it just got more and more perfect. And something really interesting, and you did ask me about being a mother, and I will circle back around to that. But something really interesting happened because he wasn't necessarily looking to date either, you know, Um we both just wanted to give ourselves a long time, you know, post-divorce. Um, but he asked me one time, we were on the phone. He was on the road. He plays with Tim McGraw, so he's gone a lot. <laughs> he's like an it studio and road musician and just like yeah. musician in general. He's very busy. He's in the studio today, actually. I think he's working on Tyler Farr's record right now. Oh, um, awesome. But, yeah, he was on the road with Tim, and he, he just called. me, we were, you know, talking for hours, as you do when you're, like, newly falling in love with someone. <laughs> and he said, when's your birthday? I was like, I'm going to tell how old I am now, but I don't care. I'm not, I'm not one of those women that's weird about my age. I said, January 8th. And he's like, what? He's like, yeah. I thought, okay, he's an Elvis fan because that's Elvis Presley's birthday. Or he's a David Bowie fan because it's David Bowie's birthday. That's a good day to be born. Yeah, or Stephen Hawking. Oh, that's, dang. Okay, yeah. the list goes on. Exactly. So I was like, it's one of those birthdays. And I thought, okay, he must like one of those people. And he got kind of quiet for a minute. And then he's, he's like, what year? It's like 1971. And he's like, I'm going to have to call you back. And what I didn't know, I knew his brother had passed away. So Adam was 11 when his brother passed away. His brother was 14. And what I didn't know is his brother was born January 8th, 1971. Stop. And then I got a text from him because he, he needed a minute. Because he, he wasn't necessarily looking to date. But he's always felt like his brother has given him signs. And this was kind of a big, yeah, like, smack you over the head, like, you need to go with this one kind of thing. And um, he he texted me a minute later, and he's like, oh, you know, what what time of day? And so bear in mind, I was born in London. And I, <laughs> my birth certificate's so old, they didn't even <laughs> write the damn time down because, you know, there's like dinosaurs outside the hospital. Um, but 
Um, my mom's always said that she was in rush hour traffic and got to the hospital and I just kind of came right out. So we've always figured like somewhere between 5.30, 6.30, something like that. It's kind of a guess. Mm -hmm. Well, he was like, oh, thank God. If you had been born the same time as my brother, I would have totally freaked out. And I was like, well, when was your brother born? He's like, 12.30 in the afternoon. I was like, where? He's like, New York. Well, there's the time change. <laughs> there's a five hour difference between. Stop. So I was like, so you're like born. Uh, at I don't the know. Same time? We might have literally have been born in the same hour. I mean, it's Stop. same day, same year within the same hour. How crazy. I mean, it, even wow. I've told this story a hundred times and my hair still stand up. Um, so that was pretty trippy. That kind of gave us both a little both sign. Like, signs? Absolutely. Absolutely. So that was a big sign that we were supposed to be together. But yeah, so I have a 12 and a half year old, Daisy Rocket, and I've got two awesome stepkids, Hawk and Sophia. And um, Hawk is 12 and a half and Sophia is 15 Fun. and a half. So Daisy and Hawk are exactly the same age. Yeah. Yeah. They're just a couple months apart. You know, you, it's very important with kids to put the and a half in there. Oh, got to have it's, a half. You know. Yes. 12 is very different than 12 and a half. Totally. Halfway to 13 is really important. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they all get along great. And I just, God, I love being a mother. It'll kick your butt, but it's. What has motherhood taught you? The best thing. Um, that it's not all about me and to slow down and put somebody else first. Um, I've, my whole life is just like, go, go, go. I mean, I always think I've been a pretty generous person. I think I'm compassionate and kind and consider others but there is something about having a child that really makes you go what I want is always going to come second from now on and and it it can be uncomfortable at times but it's also there's it'll just give you so much pride and joy um to put somebody else first it's a it's a really beautiful thing I love it she's have you balanced, <laughs> she's awesome have you balanced your career with being a mother because you have been able to keep a great career going yeah I don't have any balance there's no balance <laughs> in my life I, and I mean that I'm not trying to be funny there you know if I get one thing done in a day it's at the expense of something else and uh, you know um the house is clean today because the cleaners came I was so <laughs> glad that this fell on a day when the cleaners came otherwise you'd see the inside of my brain like <laughs> just looking at the house I mean I'm I'm messy I don't always get things done and but I'm a, I'm a good mother and I put that first and luckily my travel with work is only usually a couple days a week and it's just always worked out that you know obviously her dad Daisy's dad is around or my mother or Adam and um, we've never really needed a babysitter one of us seems to always be around thank goodness but you know I, I can go weeks with like yeah, that's a project I should have finished. The laundry's piling up or I'm going to go to bed tonight with dishes in the sink or I haven't been. I, I go to the gym like twice a year. I, I'm not even kidding. I'm not proud of that. Well, you look amazing. I'm not proud. I'm not proud of it. I'd look a lot more amazing if I went to the gym. But thank you. Um, I, I can't do it all. No. And so I just think you, you have to forgive what you can't do. I mean, because you just can't do it all. There's not enough hours in the day to look perfect, have a perfect body, have your hair perfect, have your nails done, go the, get the Botox, have a fridge full of yummy, healthy, organic food and cook dinner for your family every night and the laundry's all done and put away. No, <laughs> no, it's not going to happen. And I don't care even if you're wealthy enough to have a whole staff, something is not going to get done. So you ha you just have to pick your battles. And I've I put my kid first and I spend a lot of time with her and I think I'm a 
pretty great mother, but it is at the expense. You should see my office. Listen, before you leave here today, I'm going to let you look at my office and you're going to laugh so hard. <laughs> and I mean, you, you can't do it all. There's no way. How do you give yourself grace? Like, did, was it ever hard for you to accept that you can't do it all? Yeah, it's still hard for me. It really is. I can sit here and talk a big game like, well, you just can't do it all. And yet, but I still beat myself up for it. How and do you give yourself grace through that? Honestly, my body tells me when it's time to sit and give myself some grace because I'll get sick. There, there's a couple times a year where I just hit a wall. I'm all of a sudden completely exhausted and I can't get out of bed. And it almost feels like depression. Maybe it even is depression. Like I'll just stop. It's like I've just hit a wall. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm such a loser. I can't do anything. And I'm like, oh, that's right. This is what my body does to me when I try to do too much. It just stops me. I'll get a horrible cold or something will happen. I got vertigo a few weeks ago for the first time in my life. Never had it before. And I was laid out for a week. I couldn't work. I couldn't do anything. And Were you at one of those moments that you needed a break? Yeah, I was. I was running myself ragged mentally. And um so I'd, I'm not sure I've even learned when to give myself a break. I think my body will just shut down on me and just say, stop, just stop. And everything will hurt. And I'll just end up in bed for a couple of days staring at the ceiling going, oh, I've overdone it again. You know, that's just me being honest. That's just, you know, I think a lot of mothers that are career women that are that are trying to juggle a million things go through the same thing, you know. And I think it's I think it's important to be honest about it. You know, sometimes I just hit a wall and then I have to go, okay, you need to be kind to yourself. And that's when I'll be like, you know what, I'm going to clear my calendar. I'm going to get done what I have to get done. And then I'm, you know, I may just stay home and put music on and paint for a couple of days and just get my brain back and where it needs to be. And then I'm okay again. Is painting sort of a recharge for you? Yeah. And you love aliens. I do. Because your, your uh, Instagram paint painting uh, whatever site, site yeah. is alienated by Katie. Yes. Talk to me about your love of aliens and how you'll like <laughs> go get pictures and then add aliens in them. Like yes. classic old school yes. pictures and then you'll plop an alien yeah, in. Yeah, I like the like old tacky 70s like mass produced pictures and beat up wood frames. And I, I, I always see the potential for a scene that involves aliens or some kind of cryptozoology or ghost or something. What is your love of aliens? I don't know. I, I don't ever remember not being interested in it. And um, I've had a lot of really unusual experiences in my life that Please I can't explain. Oh, God. I don't even know. Oh, <laughs> it's kind of personal, but okay. <laughs> I think I, I think I've been visited. I'll just say I'll just put there it out there. There has to be life out there. There is life out there, and yeah. I know it. And um, I've had a lot of paranormal experiences. I've had <gasps> things that I just can't explain, and some happened unfortunately when I was alone, and I have no proof. But a couple of them have happened with other people, and and those people I will <laughs> rely on them forever to remind me that I'm not crazy that we <laughs> experienced it together. But. Um, yeah, just weird stuff and even telepathic stuff. I've had just a lot of unusual experiences. And so I've always been really open-minded about that. And I remember my dad taking me to see Close Encounters. I was a little bitty kid. And um, I think it was like the next day I was bored. I was like, Dad, I'm bored. And he was like, 
He's my dad is he's so funny. He if you say you're thirsty, he's like drink water, lions drink water, you know. If you say you're bored, he's not like, well let's go bowling or roller skating. It's here's a piece of paper and a pencil. Show me what you're thinking, child. Oh, you know, I like love really, that. he's very very creative person, you know, obviously a songwriter. What a great way to deal with boredom. Yeah, well, yeah, that you couldn't say you were bored in our house. He's like write a song, draw a picture, make up a dance, do something. Okay. And and so um, I remember saying to him couple days after seeing Close Encounters, I'm bored. And he's like, draw a picture. I said, of what? And he said, how about the alien from that movie? I was like, okay. (laughs) And I drew the alien from Close Encounters. And I was like, oh, I really like doing this. And I started drawing ghosts and monsters and aliens and everything. So it's always sort of been my favorite thing to draw. And then really through necessity, not being able to afford fine art, (laughs) I would sometimes find things and just kind of spruce them up and hang them on my wall and, and, and one time I added an alien to a picture and I was like, oh, this is fun. This what is that, what really that, fun. What kind of vibes did that send through you when you like were taking this old school classic painting and then putting an alien in it? Yeah. Like how does that, how did that trigger well, things in your brain? I remember thinking, wow, this is so unique. Nobody's doing this. That's not true. It turns out there's tons of people doing it. I just never knew that. Um, but there are other people on the internet that do this kind of thing. But I just thought this, I think I've found my new hobby, you know, I'm just so into this. And so um, I've, I've given a lot of them away. I'll sometimes just do them and, and, you know, give them as birthday presents. A couple of people have asked me, they've brought me an old funky picture and asked me to add an alien. Um, and then if, if ever I think it is kind of okay, but it hasn't turned out quite like I thought it would, I'll just actually donate it back to Goodwill and not say anything. <laughs> So there's probably quite a few of my pieces hanging around somewhere else. And I'm sure somebody picked it up and like, oh, that's a nice farm scene. Whoa. (laughs) Why is there an alien on a cow? You know, like. um, (laughs) I love that. That just makes me laugh when I donate them back. I'm like, oh. But to me, it shows your just openness with the universe and the world, which leads me to your children's book. Because, like, yes. tell me how you wrote that book. Yeah, so Little Benny, the boy who didn't know he was the universe. Um, when my band was touring, Reno was touring around the country on radio tours, and we spent hours and hours and hours in a van. You know how that goes. And I got my first laptop, which I look back on it now, I mean, because this is, you know, well, whatever, um, 21 years ago or something laptop probably made it weighed as much as a coffee table it was about as large you know and I I couldn't even connect to the internet anywhere but I just got it because I wanted to do some creative writing and anyway I was just riding along one day and I know this sounds weird but it's almost like I don't want to say I went into a trance but this idea popped into my head about this boy who actually hosted life (laughs) within himself but didn't know it and all these little characters started popping out and I couldn't write, I couldn't type fast enough. I'm not the fastest typer as it is. I couldn't get the idea down quick enough. And it, it, it always happened with me with little Benny where I would go into these writing fits and then I'd come out of it and I'd almost be like, where did that come from? It's almost like channeling or something. And I don't, I I don't know. I don't claim to be a channeler or anything, but I can go into a weird place. I think a lot of people do, creative people. They go into this zone where they're like, I don't even know where that came from. It was just like a gift from somewhere. You're just receiving. Yeah, totally. And so that whole thing was just receiving. That's the perfect word for it. And um, so little Benny's very nerdy little boy. He's very curious about the universe. 
But yeah, he doesn't know he plays host to all these little beings that live within him, and they don't know that they're part of him either. So there's uh, the flus of Lintopolis that live in his belly button, and uh, the Nandos that live in the forest, which is his hair. Uh, they fight the waxmen that live deep in the caves, which of course are, you know, his ears. And, and it goes on and on. There's all these characters. Um, there's the uh, the buds of Taste Town, little taste buds. And so obviously everything he does and experiences physically has an effect on them. Just taking a bath is like, you know, a typhoon for the oh poor Fluce of Lintopolis. And <laughs> luckily he's a young boy and only takes a bath about once a week. But, but you know, he's been starting to bathe more as he gets older. So they believe in global warming because, you know, the storms are coming more frequently. And, you know, oh. like it's, there's all this like funny connection. It's like cause and effect. But they don't know they're part of him, and he doesn't know they're there, but they do affect each other. And so there's all the dramas with him in middle school, the girl he has a crush on, and the bully, and the embarrassing parents. And um, and then there's the drama with on, within all these little worlds, and they don't even know, most of them don't even know that the other ones exist either. And I, I my whole goal with it was just to, I mean, teach kids, obviously cause and effect, but also, you know, that whole macro micro thinking, we don't know, we don't know that our whole universe doesn't exist under the toenail of some giant. I mean, Truly. We, we don't know. Truly. We think we know and, we, and we'll all go to our grave trying to figure it out. But we don't know. No idea. Yeah. And, and we really don't even understand where our universe stops and begins. And we understand that it's expanding, but expanding within what and from what. Truly. And the more you think about it, you can go nuts thinking about it. But I love it, too. I'm like, I love all those ideas. So I just wanted to write something fun and whimsical that would make a kid stop and go, maybe I shouldn't step on that ant. Or, you know, maybe maybe I'm riding on the back of a giant ant right now and I don't even know it. I mean, we're... I love that. We don't know. I mean, how could we know? We don't. Yeah. And I don't trust people that say they know. (laughs) (laughs) In any walk of life, anybody who says they know it all, I'm like, I'm going to walk away from you really fast because you don't. No. Yeah. No, it's just too huge. Yeah. Have you always been interested in like the universe and like just trying to not obviously not know it, but grasp it, yeah. get a feeling for it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm very curious. And again, like I said, just had some just kind of odd thing. I think I went out of my body a lot as a kid. I, I, I remember That's flying. Amazing. It's, well, I, I mean, I don't know. It's it's weird. But um yeah, I think I've I've always been very curious. And my parents, like I said, were very hippie. And my mother always had a kind of new agey self-help stuff on the bookshelf. And I'd pull it down and look at it. She was really drawn to Eastern religions. And I would look at a lot of those books as a kid. And, and, and like the Indian gods with the multiple arms and the, you know, flying carpets and all kinds of stuff. And just kind of would think, God, what's out there, you know? Um, and then, you know, I, I'm I'm... Young enough that I grew up with Star Wars and and all those awesome space programs that were so big and and so yeah I guess I've always had a really open mind. My brother is a huge Star Trek fan. We watched a lot of that growing up. Um, but yeah, I'm I am naturally curious about all of it. That's amazing, Katie. You're just a plethora of interesting things to talk about. <laughs> you're sweet. You are. I mean, it's like never ending, and I. <laughs> I think I have loved discovering that about you because you see you on CMT and you are just like this incredible host and like you're talking to all these country music artists and you know it's more it's more one it's not one thing but it's like country music yeah but you are so layered which I think is well I think most people are yeah yeah um 
Yeah, TV's tricky like that. I think we, we get used to seeing somebody in a certain role. Mm-hmm. You know, I always feel for people like, uh, not that I'm comparing myself to somebody as famous as Johnny Depp or anything, but, you know, you get so used to seeing him as an actor that when, you know, you find out he's in a band and you're kind of like, ew. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's weird. You're I don't not know supposed if I to like do that. that. Yeah. And yet he probably was playing guitar before he was ever acting. And I think most people are multifaceted and, and we don't always get to find out. I think that's why I've always enjoyed the longer interviews is just trying to find out a little bit more about people. Um, but I do realize that the, the, Katie Cook that people see at CMT is is a very very small part of my life but it is an awesome part of my life I'm very proud of it but you know there's no room in the middle of a conversation with you know Faith Hill for me to start like what do you think about aliens (laughs) (laughs) I mean you know that you just you know there's certain stuff you're just not going to bring up it wouldn't be appropriate I love that Um, and I have to say you gave me the sweetest little shoes because we're having a little girl, and she only has one pair of shoes. They're these little yellow fringe. I'm dying, and they smell. They're Melissa. So Ugh. those are vegan shoes. Um, and um, I personally have a lot of Melissa shoes. They're my favorite. They're all man-made material, and they infuse this sweet candy smell into the shoe, and they're just uh, divine. They're the sweetest little shoes for our little daughter. And I, I mean, literally seeing them brings tears to my eyes. They're the cutest things I've ever seen. <laughs> You were so thoughtful. When I showed up here, you had like some drinks out, some apps there. If we needed a snack, you're just oozing with kindness. You're such a beautiful soul. And honestly, I watching you and your husband in this band together too, I'm like, how fun is that for y'all to get to do this? You're another love of yours music with the person you love the most. Yeah, it's amazing. You're very kind. Thank you for all the compliments. You have made me feel like a rock star (laughs) by wanting to talk to me like... (laughs) is this is a really big deal. I feel like I, I spend my whole life interviewing other people. So when somebody actually wants to talk to me, I'm like, really? Really? Okay. Oh, you're a rock star. You are a rock star. You're, you are a huge influence on me. That, well, oh gosh, I hope I've... <laughs> in a, in <laughs> well, a great you're turning way. out wonderful. So that makes me feel like I'm doing something really good in the world. And you're kicking butt. I mean, you have just taken this whole thing and run with it. And you have so many followers and you put so much positivity out. And you're, you're so supportive of other women and just everybody. And you're really, really good at what you do. And... You're, you're kicking butt. It's really nice of you, Katie Cook, to say to me. I'm going to really hang on to that for a long time. <laughs> I hope I'm doing okay. And and you should eat some of the snacks upstairs. I you know will. what? One of my biggest pet peeves in life is when you get invited somewhere and there's no food. Because I'm hungry every five minutes. Right. And I'm like, oh my gosh. But like when you go to somebody's house for a party and you walk in and there's no food. I'm like, I, I, I want to burst into tears and leave immediately. You need a snack. <laughs> like, you don't understand. I'm going to be hungry at some point in the next couple hours. So I try really hard. And if I tell somebody my party starts at six, that food is going to be on the table and warm at 545. You're ready. I, I am so OCD about that. Like Dolly Parton, that thing. Yeah. Always show up early. I'm really weird about that. I really like to be a good hostess. Which you are. Thank you. Okay, so I wrap every interview with Leave Your Light. So you're a very inspiring person. What is something that you would like to tell people just to inspire them, something that you've learned through all of your journey of life, just a piece of knowledge that you think it would be important for others to know that you have picked up? Um, be kind and take a moment every day, uh, to, to be kind to somebody else because so many people are battling things and you just never know how just taking a little extra energy and moment out of your day to be nice to somebody could literally 
change their whole world. You just don't know what someone else is going through. And I try to remind myself when I encounter people that are harsh uh, or mean or rude in the world that they're battling something. And I try to just turn around and be very kind just to remind them that, you know, they could be acting differently. <laughs> when the natural reaction is, you kind of want to be like, well, what a jerk. But yeah. you're like, no, I just, battling I try. It's not always easy, but I try. I got vomited on on an airplane two days ago coming back from Florida. Legit vomit? Yeah, in all my years of flying, the kid next to me, I've never had this happen, the kid next to me literally spewed, like projectile vomited <gasps> all over the entire aisle. Oh, no. <laughs> all over me, all over my friend who was sitting in the window. And I got to tell you, he didn't apologize but at the end of the flight, I, I made him talk to me. I thought, you know what? I don't know what he's going through. I know he's hungover, and I know I want to kick his butt. But oh, so I, it was like a, of a drinking age. Like it was like an yeah. adult person. Yeah. And But I, I made him take his earbuds out, and I was like, how are you feeling? And I had a conversation with him, and he did eventually apologize. And I, I walked away, and a couple people were like, you were so much nicer than I would have been. I'm like, yeah, but maybe now next time he pukes on somebody on an airplane, he'll actually be kind and apologize. You know, I just try really hard to behave the way I want people to behave towards me. And it's not always easy, but I guess it was a super long answer, but I, I just, I wanna see more of that in the world. And it comes from the top down. It comes from our leadership down. We need to see people being kind mm -hmm. and respectful and you know, setting the bar higher, setting a good example. Because it actually takes a lot less energy to be nice than it does to think of all the ways you can be mean to somebody because you're mad at them. That takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot fewer muscles in your face to smile than it does to frown. So just just keep it going. Keep being nice. I love that. Well, you are a shining example of that. Oh, thank you. Yes, you Likewise. are. Likewise. Likewise, sister. Thank you for coming on my podcast. It really means a lot to me. I think you're just an incredible woman. Thank you, Caroline. Likewise. Thank you. Okay, bye. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.